Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hi, and welcome to Brand New from the iHeart Podcast Network and Brand New Labs. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Pereira. How you doing, Marissa? Oh, you know, I was going to say, I was going to say I'm so busy. But then I thought, well, I'm so busy. not busy. And are you not busy? And don't you sort of have a love-hate relationship with saying I'm so busy or actually having other people tell you how busy they are? Busy, you know, I feel like it's like one of those words where it's just like, really? Are you really that busy? I know. I try to really think of how language creates reality and the fact that you describe yourself as busy. Like, what are you really projecting? What are you really conveying to people? Because maybe that's this image of the Tasmanian devil, and it kind of maybe I don't know, like gets people not wanting to come near you because you're always busy. Like, is that what people perceive you? It's it's an interesting way to describe yourself. Yeah, or is it the way? Is it is an apology? Sometimes for me, it's an apology. Sometimes I think we wear it like a little bit of badge of importance, like, oh, so busy. Mm. I have so much to do. It's like, oh, you're so self-important. I'm so busy. (laughs) Do you think I'm not busy or do you think my time isn't as important? Uh, I don't think I've met a person, at least in this country, that, well, maybe in our more city professional worlds, but not always professional worlds. I've met so many people that always describe themselves as busy. So the funny part is just how incredibly subjective it is to be busy, don't you think? Yeah, but this goes again, language creates reality and this idea of how you describe yourself, you know, what becomes the perception of you really becomes the reality of you. And so if you're always describing yourself as busy, then I feel like, again, it's the way that you're badging yourself. And I don't know, how do you really be more thoughtful with your time? What is the image of yourself? Again, you as a brand, how are you showing up? What is the perception that people have of you? What are the words that people describe you when you are not in the room? Those are all things that kind of come back to the language that you use to describe yourself. See, that's funny. You go to language. I always think language, and I feel like this just takes me to some more very pedestrian and practical concerns. Like, how do you figure out how to get all these things done in the day? And the, I think conflicted relationships we have with our phones now because mm-hmm. they're always with us and they're always on and they're always but you have the power 
You have the power. You are in control, right? You can turn it off. Like you can put it away. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is probably a great segue and it's the perfect way to kind of introduce our brand new POV because we have a very special guest, the one and only Lisa McCarthy, the CEO and co-founder of Fast Forward Group. Just written a book. Welcome Lisa to brand new. Thank you. Excited to be here. We are thrilled, right, Marissa? Oh, I mean, you know, Lisa is a perfect example of exactly why we did this podcast and a very specific point of view with the people we wanted to have on. And maybe not the people that you've heard of, maybe in some cases, people you have heard of, but people who we know are incredibly special and their perspectives need to be heard. And I mean, we both have a personal connection to you, which I feel is worth starting off with as we talk about how much our industry runs on relationships. But Stephen, you should start because yours goes way back. Absolutely. I mean, I feel that I owe pretty much the uh, advent of my career in marketing and media to Lisa because Hmm. when we met, I was working as a hedge fund portfolio manager and somehow some friends of mine in finance lured me to go interview at Univision, Univision for the Spanish speakers. And I'm like, why on earth would I go talk to Univision? I like grew up making fun of this with my abuelita, like the program. I just you know couldn't watch it. But here was this energizer bunny of a woman. And I interviewed with Lisa and she sold me on this incredible bold vision. Mm. And I feel like that's a recurring theme, Lisa, that we'll talk about creating a bold vision. I was like, you know what? This woman seems absolutely crazy and I love it. And I'm going to sign up for this journey. And so thanks to Lisa... I joined Univision to be her VP of Business Intelligence. I remember that day. We're going to do data analytics back in 2008. And then three months later, I was helping her run marketing. So go figure. Thank you, Lisa. I mean, so much to discuss just on that story and what it means to have great people who lift you up. And I'll say in a different way, I've come. Yeah, what's your connection, Marissa? In a different way, I'd say Lisa's been someone who's lifted me up, but more recently, probably just in the past few years, where one of the ways in which I take stock of and this is going to sound really deep, but it's true. One of the ways I take stock of how I feel successful is the company I've been lucky enough to keep. And sometimes I look around and have literally been at a dinner table with these other incredibly powerful, amazing women. And that's happened because we have some mutual friends who've organized that a few times. For me, it's been a little bit of a pinch yourself moment. Like, wow, how do I get to be at this table and how energizing that's been. And Lisa's been one of those people. So thank you for being one of those people. You are welcome. You're one of those people for me. It's a powerful table and I'm always honored to be there. Mm-hmm. And congratulations on podcast seven. All right. Well, Lisa, let's, let, <laughs> let's get into it. Congratulations to you because you left this incredible career. You started off in investment banking. You then made a transition into ad sales, working at Turner back in the day, the glory days of Turner. (laughs) And then you you had this esteemed career at, at CBS and Viacom and eventually Univision. But at some point, you decided to declare a bold vision. And I feel like you've been living what you call your power principles. Can you just tell us a little bit about why you started Fast Forward Group in the first place? Sure. Well, Univision had Reorg 57 when I was in in year (laughs) five, and I chose 
to leave. And I was going to take definitely a year off because I had been working since I was I was 16. And I was really at an inquiry. Do I want to go back to corporate America and specifically media and run an ad sales organization? Or is it time to do what I had for probably a decade said, you know, someday when I have retirement savings, et cetera, I'm going to create a company that really helps people succeed regardless of the pressure, the uncertainty, the change, and not only succeed professionally, but personally. And and you saw some of that, Stephen, at Univision. But the question is, it's a concept. How do you create a system that reliably helps people mm. do it. And specifically, if you help a leader and a team, then obviously it has exponential results. So despite some pressure to go to some pretty desirable ad sales opportunities. Yeah, you could have gone anywhere. I mean, you could have gone to you know so many different media companies or tech companies that needed ad sales leaders, but you decided to be an entrepreneur. I mean, you did not have an entrepreneurial background. No, I really didn't. It's something that's in concept. It sounds interesting, but really taking that leap, that is something that a lot of folks don't do. And I would, I'll just be real, like, what really was that impetus? What led you to say, you know what, I'm going to take this leap? I felt like life is short and this is my superpower. And if I go do this- What, what is this? What is your superpower? The superpower is lifting, like having people realize that this is it. And regardless of the circumstances, you can take ownership of your business, your career, and your life. There's many things that we can't control. We can't control the economy. We can't control certain you know, people in senior leadership. We can't control politics. And there's so many things we can control in terms of how we show up, where we invest our time and energy, how we react and respond to people, circumstances, how we speak, how we listen. So let's focus on what we can control. And that's my superpower. And I just felt as if it's really hard for people in most of the workplaces I know. And so I was going to go for it. I had a friend of mine named Wendy, who I met when I was 12 years old. She was a very successful executive coach, had also experienced the pressure and pace in corporate America. And at the time, she said, I'm at a crossroads too. So I felt very fortunate because I am the kind of person that likes to work in partnership. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went from this big company with a lot of energy and then Wendy and I fortunately did it together. But if I had been alone every day, just my dog and <laughs> the, the, my laptop, I, I don't know how it would have gone, but it doesn't matter. Right. I partnered with Wendy. We created the curriculum. I was up at 4.30 every morning with fear, with discomfort, like what if this doesn't work? And this was such a big leap and was it the wrong choice? And Sounds like an inner critic, huh? Big inner critic. And then I always went back to... If it doesn't work out, I'll go back to ad sales, which I am talented at and will be good. Like, it's not that I was unhappy. I just felt like now's the time to throw my hat over the wall. Well, I want to go back to the throw your hat over the wall because that's a metaphor that I think is very telling. And we should talk about the fact that one of the bold visions you gave yourself, and I remember you talking about this, was to now write a book. And part of why we wanted to really have you on now is because you did that. You said you were going to do it and you did it. And that book is out. I think you're 
your manifestation of everything that you've built. And the book's called Path Got my Forward. signed copy right here. <laughs> well, they can't see it. So I'll describe it. It's called Fast Forward, Five Power Principles to Create the Life You Want in Just One Year by Lisa McCarthy and your partner, Wendy Leshgold. And we're back. Writing a book is an exercise in language. A lot of the work you do is an exercise in language. And you talk about the power of that. In fact, Stephen just saying, oh, that's your inner critic. And you're like, yes, it is. So tell us a little bit about a topic that I think a lot about, how language creates reality, the stories you tell. I mean, for those of us who are marketers, it's our professional job. But oftentimes, we're not so good at it when it comes to ourselves. Yeah. That's one of our mantras, language creates reality. So back to what you can control, you can control how you speak to yourself and what you say out loud. So two things I want to share. One, the book was, again, throwing our hat over the wall. I I want to say as of year three, people said, when are you going to write the book? And I said, it's on the list, but we're not putting it as a priority right now. And that was starting in year three and now we're in year 11. So finally, and I really give the credit to Wendy. She said, it's time. It's time to put the legacy on paper. And also countless people finish the program or finish executive coaching. And they say, how do I give this to my partner? How do I give this to my sibling? How do I give this to a friend? How do I give this to my team if I'm a manager and they're not going to do the program? And now we have the book. And the book gives people the system so we could scale. So that's one thing. It was uncomfortable. Even when it launches, your inner critic says, what if it's not successful? What if people don't like it? What if, you know, the what if, the what if. And and we said, we really care, but not that much. We did it for us. We did it for our graduates. We did it for the future people in the program. Now, back to your question, language creates reality. We tend to sabotage ourselves. And along the way, as a human being, regardless of of your success, as a human being, you make up stories about yourself, other people, and other people meaning your colleagues, that person over in business unit X that you think should be fired. We always say in the program, like, they're not getting fired. The people that are difficult. And then, you know, we have stories about our friends and we have definitely have stories about people in our extended family. Now, you a lot of times can't control the circumstances and you can't change people, although we will keep on trying and live in frustration when we do that, but we can always choose our story. So when you identify negative stories about yourself, other people's circumstances, and we get into this in the book, the first step is to identify it, right? Because sometimes the fish doesn't know it's in the water. We just relate to it like we're right. We're right. We're busy collecting evidence. It's so true. We're so right. But if you have a fixed perspective, then another one is not possible. So we give in the book, we give people our model of identifying the disempowering perspective or story, recognizing the cost, sharing the cost out loud, because when we write things down and we share them out loud, when you talk about cost, you're not talking about like dollars and cents. You're talking about, you know, the personal cost. Negative the toll impact. that it takes internally. Yeah, negative right. impact. Negative impact. Like if my story is there's not enough hours in the day, that's my relationship to time. So what's the cost of that? I'm always feeling overwhelmed. Right. Right. I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to that story. So I'm always feeling overwhelmed. And the cost is not even that feeling. It's that feeling, but it's also productivity. Because if you're spinning 
then you know you're not even going to try to get organized and delegate and stop doing things that are not important because you feel pressure and that clouds your thinking right that clouds your thinking let me push back a bit and play a little bit of devil's advocate right sure. so what you are saying sounds so simple but in practice it is so difficult because what you're asking for someone to do is to really change their perspective you're asking them to think differently about a story. And if someone has been collecting evidence to prove that I am right, it's really hard to get out of that mindset. And like you just said, you might not even know because, oh, I'm feeling so overwhelmed. Oh, you know, not enough hours in the day. I know so many people, myself included, that say that, but how do you kind of snap out of that rut that you're in? Because you might not even realize, to your point about fish and water, you may not realize that you are sabotaging yourself with that language. How do you snap out of it? You got to raise your consciousness and park the evidence. You know, of course I could come up with evidence for there's not enough hours in the day, but use the model in the book. The facts are there's 24 hours in the day. Hopefully you're sleeping eight hours a night. So, okay, I've got 16 hours left. How am I going to invest them? And, you know, you have the power. I promise you in our executive coaching practice, when the coach sits down with the client and literally analyzes the time as if you were an accountant or a consultant, you had to track your time, they always find multiple meetings that are not a good use of their time. And just they have um, reactive habits that get in the way. I have to respond immediately. My attitude is like, let somebody else respond. I'll see what's going on in six hours. As long as I, you know, look at it in 24 hours a day. So when you start to recognize the cost, you see, and we give real life stories in the book, wait, I can change my relationship to time. And it begins in language. You know, this story, Stephen, and, and Marissa, you may have heard it too. I mean, I spent over a decade. When I was in corporate America, commuting, two kids at the time, I now have three, or I have had three for a while. Uh, but my whole story was, if people said, Lisa, how are you? I'd say, I'm really busy. And I'd say it in a very intense, rushed way with my two phones. And when I recognized the, the cost of that to myself, always feeling anxious, never feeling like I could sit on the couch or relax questioning where I did invest my time. And then I really wasn't accessible to people. People would start the sentence for a decade. I know you're really busy, but, right. and I'm sure some people didn't even. Because those became labels that started to attach themselves to you. And so that is the perception which creates reality. Lisa's always busy. So I'm not going to bother her. I'm not going to go up to her. She's busy. Exactly right. I mean, this reminds me of back in the days when I was running Executive Moms, distinct challenges of working mothers, although yeah. certainly not to suggest they're unique ones. There are a lot of pulls on your time that there are especially younger working moms listening to this, maybe listening, saying, well, sure, that's fine, but I don't have real control over my time. My kids need me when they need me, and they're not necessarily saying, oh, okay, you carve this time out. And similarly, some of us work in organizations or for bosses where the demands on time bleed into all sorts of moments that maybe they didn't used to or with pressures and demands. So what do you say to your clients or to listeners about that when you don't actually feel like you have as much control as this idea might suggest? Is it then more about the way we talk to ourselves through it? Or is it a more practical step in terms of managing those demands? I think it's both. 
number one, there are almost always requests that you can make, recommendations that you can make. A lot of times people are not making them because they relate to it as if this is the way it is. And who am I to make that request? And simple things. I mean, I remember I had a manager that had the weekly meeting at four o'clock. Inevitably, we'd start late, we'd go over and I was, you know, running at warp speed, sweating to get to my train so that I can have a family dinner. And that went on for several months. And then I finally said to my manager, would you be willing to have the meeting one hour earlier? And he said, fine, that's fine. That works for me. People wouldn't even think to make the request Mm -hmm. and share the impact because a lot of times management is unconscious about how decisions they make impact others. I also think going to women specifically, and we do a whole women's program and the book is more gender neutral. But what we've learned is, yes, of course, there's unique challenges. Women tend to be the primary caregiver of their children and their parents. Women can be more critical of themselves. And sometimes there's unconscious bias in the workplace. And sometimes there's even conscious bias in the workplace. So I think in those cases, women have to often give up control. So one is to make requests and recommendations, but also we have some real perfectionists and control freaks and let your partner do whatever, but do it his or her way, like versus your way. And at work, a lot of times people are, you know, you're doing your job plus your old job. Okay, enough. Like, it's good enough. It's good enough. I know you're a better writer. I know you're better whatever, like, but it's better that you're not doing all the work and you're not on your laptop at 11 o'clock at night. So those are some of my suggestions. But if you have the perspective right. that this is the way it is and you're not changing your job, you have control over your perspective and what you say and you can make requests. So if you look at the five power principles, and I'll summarize them, declare a bold vision, choose a new perspective. Plan the work and work the plan. I've heard that so many times. Use language of action and then stop talking and get curious. Mm-hmm. How would you, mm-hmm. I mean, if you just had to pick one, I know it's not fair and I know it's a system and all that kind of stuff, but if you were to say to a listener, you just need to do one of these just to get the ball rolling, because a lot of times you're in that rut, it's so hard to get out of it. What would you recommend? Definitely. Number one, declarable vision and share it. Whether you feel stuck, bored, uninspired, or you're feeling good, but like now what? You know, or you have these huge ambitious goals professionally and personally, and you're not sure how to achieve them. The bold vision gives you a very structured exercise. You're fast forwarding one year from today, which unto itself is very unusual. Even if people are setting KPIs or giving goals to put in the system, or even, you know, I want to lose 20 pounds or I want to meet someone or whatever it might be, professional or personal. I want to, you know, save 20% of my income. But in this case, you are fast forwarding a year from today and you are envisioning based on our seven questions, what extraordinary success looks like for you. Not what other people think you should do, but what is extraordinary success? So you got to do some soul searching and you got to spend a couple of hours really being thoughtful about the questions and the book will help you. And then ultimately the output 
is that you have on a piece of paper, obviously typed up for most people, and you have this vision. And we've had people say in the program, I really want to be this person. I want to have this life. (laughs) Because, you know, most people are just living in a very reactive way. What do I need to do by Friday to keep my job, to hit my goals? Yeah, they're in zombie mode. They're just making the donuts, you know, get up, get out. Just trying to get through. Yeah, just trying to get through. Just trying to get through. But what you're talking about, Lisa, is really important because it's not just professional. And I've seen this because, again, I've hired Fast Forward Group almost at every firm that I've worked at since, you know, my days at Univision. Thank you. A happy client. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is people really start to kind of go beyond the professional goals and they really get into the personal goals. And what I find so powerful is when you're declaring a bold vision, what you realize is it's not just things that are happening at work. People are bringing their whole self into this exercise. They're talking about their relationship with their parents, with a sibling, with their kids. And I feel like people discount the personal. Absolutely. Shouldn't those things, they go together. It's hard to, especially the way we work. I have seen such transformation. And I think that we were ahead of our time. Because when we started and we talked about whole life design, people would hear it as, oh, that, you know, that seems soft or like I'm investing in in yoga or like for my employees, getting them headspace and nothing, you know, I love yoga and I like headspace, but they didn't know where to fit a whole life design program. Now, fast forward, excuse the pun, we have COVID, we have a different kind of young people generation. And I heard this recently in Rashad. Kabakawala. Yeah, yeah, exactly. His interview, his podcast. From Publicis. With Heather McGowan about the future of the workplace. And they were describing, and I really love this metaphor, that it used to be there was a professional circle that was really big, a personal circle that was way smaller, and they were separate, and people would get to their personal life like on the weekend. Or I've had people on the program that have said, like, I'll, I'll focus on my health and my relationships when I retire. And I'm like, oh, when are you going to retire? 55, whatever. So, you know, that's insane. This is it. And what we're seeing is what they reflected in the podcast. It's now people saying post-COVID, new generation, how does work fit into my life? So that's what this framework is about. You know, if we're asking the question, what are you known for? It's I'm known as a, I'm known for being patient. That's going to be in your whole life. And it's a breakthrough because a lot of people are not being that now or not being that consistently. I'm known for being positive. I'm known for, you know, being a manager that cares. I'm known for being a loving parent. Like these are things that that one question has caused so many breakthroughs in people that use our power principles. And then the whole concept is how do you bring this level of intention and discipline to our personal life? How do you, you know, what what does extraordinary health look like a year from today? How do you relationship map your life? I mean, I've had people in the program say, I never thought about this. You know, it's like, oh, I want to spend more time with my family or I want to like make two friends. Like, no, but if you fast forward and the whole framework is about it's already happened and you're going to throw your head over the wall and put down a specific measurable result that feels like, I don't know how to get there. But once you write it down and you read it and if you share it, 
You'll figure it out. This is what high-performing athletes do, right? They visualize the move. Totally. They visualize, you know, Serena Williams or, you know, great football players, you know, like yeah. they're envisioning the goal. They that that's that's what they do, peak performance. People visualize and then your body's just doing the action. Yeah. I'm going to wrap us with the last question. Yeah. I venture that the reason why if there were a singular reason why the majority of people don't do this, tell me if I'm right, Lisa, it's because it's scary and it's hard. And I alluded to this before, so I thought this is a good way to wrap us up, is you you talk about throwing your hat over the wall. You mentioned it earlier. What does that mean? So that is not something we made up. There's a Irish writer by the name of Frank O'Connor, and he tells this story about when he was young, he and his friends would go hiking in the countryside. And whenever they got to a tall wall that they didn't know how to get over, they would throw their hat over so they had no choice but to go get it. And it's such a powerful metaphor for life because when you see a wall, you have two choices. One is to throw your hat. The other is to just say, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. It's too uncomfortable. It's like, I just want to play it safe and, and stick with what I know. And there is fear. You're choosing to be uncomfortable when you throw your head over the wall. You're committing to outcomes that, one, are not predictable, two, are not safe, three, you absolutely could fail. And a lot of us do, or we have failed in the past. And you really don't know how to get there. Like it's never been done before. Or for you, accomplishing that would just be unrecognizable. Once you throw your head over the wall, you write it down on paper, you see the possibility. And people's actions are always correlated to the future they see. So human beings get creative, we get resourceful, and we always say to people, a year later, you're, first of all, you're going to read your vision. We always say, read your vision once a month. Share it with people that could hold you accountable and help you get there. And this is going to require getting vulnerable because most people, and this is the fear, Marissa, most people, we keep our ambitions and dreams to ourselves. We'd rather just under-promise, over-deliver, or say it to one other person because we don't want to have people ask us how it's going. So <laughs> that's the power of the bull vision. And then, frankly, the other power principles, I mean, you made me choose one, so that's my advice, and that's the first chapter. And the other four principles are all about helping you achieve your bull vision. So they're not these a la carte items. Well, I'm. Re- I don't know about you, Stephen. I'm yes. ready to go get my hat. Are you kidding? And, I'm. I'm ready to put the bold vision no, out really there. I am inspired, wall. as always. <laughs> thank you, Lisa. Lisa, thank you. Yes. Well, while you're inspired, do it. Yes, do yes, it over yes. the next two people. We always yeah, tell this is people your life. like this yeah. is not the thing to procrastinate. <laughs> this is the thing to do right now because the- exactly right. This is it. Words to internalize. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I loved having you. I know Stephen did too. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about what's on your minds. Well, now it's time for what's on your mind. And as always, we love hearing from you. So let us know what you're wondering about or want us to talk about and answer by simply emailing us at ideas at brand-new.com. And the question we have today is from a listener named Seth, who asked us in these words, what is a brand today? Not kidding. Has the definition of brand changed along with the challenges and channels of expression? Mm. I mean, very uh, on the nose for our pod. 
But, uh, you know, For given sure. certainly all of the great brand building that you've done throughout your career, Marissa, what what do you think? I mean, like, how would you approach this question? Because it's so kind of open-ended. I think a brand is the commercial definition for who you are, except the you might be an it. But for me, they're almost tantamount. I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to keep saying who, although I recognize we're probably talking about a company or a service or a product and thereby an inanimate object, but who you are in the world, what place you have in the world, how people know you, how they relate to you, what you stand for, what personality traits you embody. And, and in that sense, we as marketers do these personification exercises, and I think they're not silly. I think they're very real because that is the psychology of how humans do interact with brands. And we can unpack that all day long, but it's true. And this is why marketing is a powerful art as well as a science, because I relate to a Coca-Cola different than just a bottle that says cola. I just do. I feel something. And that is all the power of brand. And the thing that I find fascinating is no two brands are exactly the same, even though they may have incredible similarities in what's underneath them. So for me, that's the answer. And it really isn't about channels. And it isn't about, I mean, those are the tactical ways of expressing it to Seth's question. But for me, the fundamental definition remains unchanged and frankly, more profound and more powerful than ever before. And if I were to attach a wish to this, it would be that Others in corporate America and the investor community would not discount just how important it is when you think about the upsize or downsize value there can be based on that relationship and the strength of that relationship. What do you think? I feel building on that, you know, if you take a step back, I truly feel a brand is about values, right? And when you really think of what is a brand today in a very noisy world. There's so much noise all around us. We're constantly trying to find signal and people are not going to really have many opportunities to remember what it is that people feel or think about a company, about a product. So I think you have to be very, very clear about what it is that you stand for. And I feel that is ultimately all kind of wrapped into this concept of brand. It is what your values are. And they manifest in kind of all these different, I guess, spokes, right? Certainly there's a logo and, you know, there is products and design and, you know, the identity and the copy. But ultimately, at the heart of that brand is a value. And that could be applicable to a person because you are a brand. Or that could be for a product like an iPhone. Or that could be for a company like Nike. Or that could be for a country, right? The United States. And so it really comes down to the values that I think are infused in a brand. Well, that's my take. I think values are definitely a part of it. And it's all those other attributes too, that just become, you know, very much about how we think of ourselves. And, you know, a piece that I was working on, and now maybe I'll have the courage and the, and the, the fast forward, bold vision to get this <laughs> out of, you know, a draft and into writing is talking about how we as people are brands, just as brands are often like people. So it's something that I like to continue to think about. But 
in doing that, I guess we'll just say that's it for this time. And we appreciate you joining us. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content and listened to all the episodes that preceded. Please don't forget to follow us at The Brand New Podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you never miss an episode. And do us a favor, please leave a rating, comment on Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. All of that content really helps spread the word, helps feed the algorithm. And again, thank you. So until next time, let's keep it brand new. Brand new.